0: Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact
1: they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yay, yeah, and welcome back to episode 24. In this episode, we will be talking about some ancient Roman and Greek medical theories that are surrounded around female anatomy, specifically. So we will be exploring different parts of the body and various theories that come from different anatomists and physicians of the time. And some of the ideas may sound familiar and some maybe not so much, but I promise it will be quite a thrill of a ride. So Alicia, do you know any theories about female anatomy from ancient history?
0: (laughs) No, it's so funny. (laughs) I like totally forgot, even though we do this Week after week, I forgot that we ask each other this question, and so usually I'm like, "Oh yeah, I have like kind of a basic idea, but I actually don't know anything like <laughs> not at a all. single theory." The wandering uterus—I don't know whose theory that is. Yes,
1: yes, that is one. You do know one, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know more than you think. Okay, well, with that, let's just jump into it then. Yeah, let's let's jump into
0: it. I <laughs> I don't know enough for us to sit here longer. Okay.
1: So, instead of taking this story down a, like, historical timeline like we usually do, we're going to change it up a bit. We will be forming this narrative in a more anatomical sense, exploring various portions of the female body and the various ancient theories around it. So, what topics do you think we're going to focus on today, Alicia, pertaining to the female anatomy?
0: Wait, this is such a fun way of doing it. (laughs) Um, Uh We're definitely going to talk about the uterus. We're definitely going to talk about breasts. Probably going to talk about brain. Maybe the heart, and probably something really random like the spleen. <laughs> the spleen always Just because comes the spleen
1: up. had what was it in the in the acupuncture? The spleen had a route or
0: whatever. The spleen was so important, and yeah. now I'll never underestimate
1: the power now, of the i will spleen. never doubt the spleen <laughs> to get the mostly right so we'll be first talking about like the general concept of being a woman now we'll be moving more specifically on to the breast and then the caravus vein which i'm sure you've never <laughs> heard of yep no and then the uterus and then external genitalia so no internal organs because in ancient history like they wouldn't have had the tools you know to Really understand the differences in those things. Yeah. But, you know, there are lots of sex differences in the brain and heart. All right. So we are going to begin our story with a very beloved theory of ancient medicine the four humors.
0: Classic, classic,
1: classic ancient medicine, right here. Four humors. So the four humors is, is a theory created by Hippocrates that was practiced for a lot of history and shaped like many medical ideas down the road. And the four humors basically consisted of four bodily fluids that they thought existed, which are black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Which I mean, like, I guess those are real bodily fluids, but not in the sense of them being four humors. But anyway, so the health of any individual was dependent upon a balance between these four humors. But because the humors did exist in such balance, that means that you could sway from one humor to the other, like on a scale, kind of. It wasn't like
0: mm-hmm.
1: predetermined what humor you would always have. And when it came to gender, usually one gender in this theory would prefer certain humors over the other humors. Oh. So it was said that males encompassed the warmer humors, which were yellow bile, which were said to be hot and dry, or blood, which is hot and moist and then females were colder humors which were black bile which is cold and dry or phlegm which is cold and moist. Yeah. So there is this like general idea that men were hot and women were cold which is like key to many medical theories that we're going to talk about in like the understanding of sex differences of men versus women or male versus female in the ancient world. Men are hot, women are cold. Yeah. Icy, Frigid, they I see cold. <laughs> so I will, um, point out also that the four humors do overlap greatly. Like I said, you know, cold, like phlegm is cold and moist, but blood is hot and moist. So they're both moist, but also on opposite scales. So there's like tons of overlap in these humors, which allows for gender to be very fluid in this theory, actually, because men could also be moist, but hot, or they can be cold, but dry, and vice versa mm. for women. So you can really fall on this scale in like so many directions. And it's kind of interesting because it leads into this theory by the physician Galen, which is a very famous ancient physician as well, who had a theory of there is actually only one sex, so not two sexes, but a single sex theory, where an individual, they just fell on the gender scale somewhere, basically.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Instead I like of saying, that. right, depending on what humors you had more of determined if you were more male or more female, but you could be like a feminine male or masculine female. Um, that was totally acceptable on this single sex theory scale. And this is even important a little bit later. We'll talk about more about it because it can even play into the physical characteristics of male and females in terms of how you can like fall on a scale. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. I have a question.
0: So do you know like what he thought quote unquote determined your like gender or your sex? Was it like the balance of humors or is it just how you decided to be? Or was it that the way that you acted or the way that you presented was like a, a sign of your internal balance of humors?
1: I think it was a lot of like the presentation of your like personality, also like physical characteristics, obviously, um like if the genitalia was pointing towards male or female, but if you were intersex, like what's butch- definitely would have still been a thing back then, then yeah, maybe they wouldn't know even that's why you'd be like that single sex idea. Mm, Okay. I don't know. Okay. I thought that was a cool theory, especially after we talked about trans health in our last episode, but anyway, back to hot and cold. So this idea didn't just describe the inner fluids of the sexes, which now that I think about it, that sounds weird, but whatever, (laughs) (laughs) but It also sets standards for personality. So if you were heavy in blood, it meant that you were courageous. If you were heavy in phlegm, it caused sluggish behavior. Yellow bile could cause anger and black bile could cause sadness. And since women are apparently mostly phlegm and black bile, this means that women were melancholy, sad, and lazy. Um. Yep. But then on the other hand, it meant that men were courageous and angry and full of heat. And they thought that all that heat in men went straight to the head into their brain, which, yes, hot-headed usually means anger, but they thought it meant intelligence. So oh. they, were, they were saying that men are inherently hotter, so they have more intelligence. And women are colder, so they have less intelligence, oh. all because of anatomy. And there are tons of different theories that talk about why men having heat does different things to make you a man. Like one was all the heat going to the head causes baldness because it burns the hair away. (laughs) 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 So the smartest people were bald. Exactly. They had so much heat up there. The hair follicles couldn't take it anymore.
0: That sounds like the person who made up this theory was bald. And then they were like, oh, I'm very smart, but I'm very bald.
1: Oh my God, you're so right. They probably were bald. Who knows? They didn't have any like hair treatments back then. I know, probably. Yeah. And then Aristotle even theorized that women's deficit in heat resulted in them having a smaller and less developed brain. <laughs> okay. dude. Thanks, Aristotle. Aristotle was big into um, thinking women were deformed men. He was like really into that theory that women just were just men who didn't develop correctly. Love Mm. it. But this is where it gets really interesting. So why do you think men were hotter and women were colder in like a physiological sense, if you had to guess?
0: Um, did it have something to do with their penises? It did not,
1: actually. Oh, for the first time ever. I know. I don't know. All right. So, well, to quote our homie Hippocrates himself, he says that a woman's flesh is more porous and softer than a man's. Since this is so, the woman's body draws moisture, both with more speed and greater quantity from the belly than does the body of a man. Quite literally, they thought the flesh of women, like the skin of women, was more porous than men, which allowed moisture to gather in the body. Like, in absorbing that moisture causes, like, coldness and moistness in the body.
0: That is something I
1: never would have guessed. Yep. Ever. Yep. Doesn't make any sense. And the belly part is just that... Like women apparently worked less. So they were like way a little more. And then all of this would start to snowball into them gaining more and more moisture throughout their life. And then all this moisture that women were absorbing through their skin and through their belly apparently would cause increased cold and would also cause increased blood in the body. Apparently doesn't make much sense, but the increase in blood would then increase the heat in the body. In that heat could not be controlled. So they would expel the heat each month through menstruation.
0: Ah, <laughs> it all comes full circle. Wait, I'm so confused by this mm-hmm. theory. This theory uh-huh. doesn't, I mean, obviously a lot of it doesn't make sense. But something that I don't get is like, if all of this heat was building up in the body, didn't heat correlate to intelligence? So, was it that like once (laughs) you're so right, the women would get like really, really smart and then they would menstruate and become dumb? You know, that's
1: brilliant. I don't think they thought that into it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) They needed a woman to think that through. Don't worry, everyone. I'm here. Yeah. I also feel like I've done readings that I've talked about how like the blood for menstruation was thought to be like dirtier blood. So maybe you need clean blood to be smart, I guess. And not because of your moisture building up through the pores in your skin. You're like a little sponge. Yeah. All right. So this idea of porous skin also applied to the glands of men versus women. So like the glands of your body. It was said that glands were spongy, porous, and full of fat, which contained loose tissue and numerous veins. OK, I don't know how they knew these things, but OK. And this is like especially true in the breasts of women hmm. in comparison to like the glands of men. And the breasts were said to be inherently dense and compact, which like, yes, totally get that. Yeah. But um, how does all wrap into the porous skin? So ancient anatomists obviously noticed that pregnant women's breasts would grow larger like as their yeah. pregnancy continued. Right. Um, Due to an increase in glands, which is totally what happens, actually. Like you literally grow more glands in your breasts as you build a child. So they thought that increase in glands would cause an increase in porous skin and more porous glands. So you were actually absorbing more and more moisture as a pregnant woman because of your increased glands, because of the glands being porous. Okay. Are you following me? Uh okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, pores. Women have pores, and then glands also have lots of pores. And then when you're pregnant, you have more glands and more, so and, more and more and more glands. Giant loofah. You're a giant sponge, <laughs> literally. Is that what it is? Kind of, Bob. <laughs> literally, yes. Pregnant women are SpongeBob, basically. <laughs> knew it and they're increasing so much moisture and all this moisture was especially going to the breasts because these breasts were increasing with so many glands so the breasts are like a location of numerous glands and pores and all that okay so the increased moisture to the breasts they thought led to the production of milk and bodily fluids
0: Oh, yeah, I was not following you yes. with that, but that no, that, that was a
1: curveball at the end, but yeah. Okay, okay. So they were like, okay. yeah, more moisture equals milk. And they also thought that this increased moisture would cause other bodily fluids that like women normally create to rush to the breast because they wanted to be near the moisture. One theory is that one of the fluids rushing to the breast were the women's seed. So, like, the idea of a woman seed is this ancient, a lot of, like, ancient theories about reproduction were trying to figure out, obviously, how babies were made and, like, was it the male or the female that contributed what? And, like, they obviously knew that men had, quote-unquote, seed because it's obvious and you can see it. But right. women, they were like, what is, like, what does the woman contribute was kind of the question throughout time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was always this theory of like, what is a female seed, and how does it contribute to reproduction? It's really interesting, but it's not what we're talking about right now. But anyway, they thought this seed that women probably had would rush to the prep to the breast during pregnancy because it would help nourish the baby, which is kind of cool. Okay. Uh. Yeah. And then also, while we're on the topic of breast milk, they thought that the virtue of a woman could be passed through the baby. Like through the breast milk. So in cultures where the wealthy did not breastfeed their own children, it was extremely important to keep a watchful eye on the milkmaidens because any sinful activities would affect their breast milk. Yeah, and affect the child. Mm. Breast milk was very holy in this idea. I see. Yeah. But as we're talking about these fluids rushing to the breast, like the seeds going up and everything's going towards the moisture, where do you think it came from Alicia or like how do you think how do you think it got to the breast the seed yeah the (gasps) seed oh my gosh did it travel up that vein it did yes (laughs) (laughs) yes it did and it did indeed this actually so there's two theories um that have to do with this one was created after they figured out that the vein's not a thing so I'm gonna start with the one that is more recent first Mm -hmm. so one theory has to actually do with the heart, which, okay. yeah, who would have thought that? Oh, my God, the heart does show up. I totally Dad! forgot. <laughs> I, yes, I I was correct. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So in 1656, Thomas Wharton theorized that there are two types of breast milk that circulate within their own systems in the body. So there's colis milk. Which travels through the Kyle. <laughs> Some dude named Kyle. He actually was a monster energy drink milk.
0: <laughs> okay. What it's is it?
1: C H Y It's It is Kyle. <laughs> okay. So it's Kyle's milk. Which travels through the Kyle duct. This it gets confusing. Okay. So really think of your your circulatory anatomy for this because the chylus milk would travel through the chyle duct to the subclavian vein
0: okay okay
1: all right to the heart to its ventricles which okay. it would then be returned through the thoracic arteries to the breast okay oh, not that not, not terrible is this your lymphatic system? Is that what you're thinking I'm really wondering that too, because I mean, it makes sense. Like the thoracic duct goes into a subclavian vein, right? You have lymphatic drainage that goes right into the
0: subclavian vein.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's tons of lymph in the breast. That's like one of the reasons why breast cancer can get so bad because right. it can travel so quickly. Lymph for everyone who isn't medical. <laughs> is like Mm. the, I always think of it as like the back system of circulation kind of like picks up all the stuff that doesn't want to go in the veins and arteries and like carries it around there. But it also is how like your immune system moves around the body. All right. that's how the chialis milk moves. And then there's also spermatic milk, which follows the same route to the heart, but it enters the breast through the thoracic nerves Okay. I don't. I don't know how fluid would pass through a nerve, but whatever floats their boat. I guess it makes sense if they start like doing dissections, which in the 1600s they might have started by then, and they're looking at the like arteries and veins. You know, those those add up a little bit, but they're just kind of making their own idea of what they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but honestly, this theory doesn't make sense to anyone, it seems like, because I think there's just a general sense of confusion about the breasts during that time and like mm-hmm. sources of milk and things like that. However, um, before this very complex theory, there was a much simpler theory, which was the cavernous vein. And this thing's cool, I have to say. So this vein was the solution to this like general question of where the heck does breast milk come from? Mm-hmm. And it was theorized first by Galen. So he suggested that there was a vein that traveled from the breast to the uterus in, in like the genital reproductive organ structure of females. And through this vein, various fluids would travel such as sperm, blood, and then anything else that wanted to travel within there. Yeah. So the vein was was thought to like literally be the length of the body, so it would start at the uterus and then it would go up and it would like split to go to each breast. Um so that's a big vein. It's basically like the inferior vena cava that goes down like your whole body. you know yeah, did they
0: just think that the inferior vena cava was this cavernous vein? so they
1: they actually like didn- weren't doing dissections at that time of humans so they just kind of made it up it sounds like this was before the 1600s yes this was okay, like okay. back very old before dissections were a thing so this was just a theory and maybe they saw something similar in animals because they did dissect animals because you know they don't eat animals and when you're harming right. up an animal you see they're inside so maybe that's how they got the theory but i don't know But since this vein was so long, they thought that it meant that the blood passing through it would have a longer time to be digested. I'm unsure what digesting blood exactly means, but that's the thought. And this digested blood would become more viable for great sperm, aka like female seed, and that would create milk. Oh, Digested blood going up the vein would help create like a better seed as it went towards the breast and make like good, healthy milk Hmm. as the seed moved toward the moisture in the breast because it was attracted to it. Oh, right. right. I forgot about the moisture. Yep. It all starts to come together. We got the porous women, lots of glands, lots of moisture, got this vein so that the things attracted the moisture can travel up through it. And they also thought that these veins, like and all the blood traveling to it was an explanation for increase in breast size, because they like, weren't really sure how more glands, you know, came about, so blood brushing yeah. to them makes a lot of sense. And this theory was actually so strong that if you look at Leonardo da Vinci's anatomical drawings of the female body, the vein is in them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like, probably drawings that you might have seen before, but you just wouldn't really notice because it honestly looks like, like the Vena Cava. So, mm. But it's in there. It's actually the cavernous vein. It's kind of crazy. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. But yeah, I'm pretty sure once they start to actually dissect women down the road, they saw that this vein does indeed not exist. It does not go towards the breasts at all. But um, keep in mind, like I was saying dissection wasn't really happening because it was such taboo for many centuries. Right. So a lot of human anatomy was based on observation, just general theory and animal dissections. So it's not surprising that they might have gotten a thing or two wrong, especially when it came to the uterus. Oh, oh my God. God. So many things wrong about the uterus. So the topic of the uterus is like very interesting. And there's so many theories about it. And one really famous theory, which Alicia mentioned earlier, is actually based on the idea that women are inherently really cold and dry and moist at the same time. Like, how are they all these things? But who knows? But really, like, leads into this theory that the uterus itself is very dry if a woman does not have intercourse. So the idea was that when a woman did not have sex, the uterus would become too dry. And so then it would be attracted to the moist areas of the woman's body and it would move around to those areas causing disease. And this was known as the wandering womb. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. And I like really want to talk about it more later, but I wanted to mention it here because it ties in so well to the idea of there being dry and with women being cold and moist and everything, because that's exactly why they thought the womb wandered. And this theory also later became harder and harder to prove once they started to dissect women, because they, they kept finding it in the same spot. Yeah, and they noticed that the uterus is quite literally anchored down to the body, like right, the broad the ligaments. It yeah. has literally in there just restricting any wandering from happening. But another interesting theory is based on the actual anatomy of the uterus. And I really like this. So Alicia, I want you to guess like what this theory could be about. I'll give you a little bit of a hint. <laughs> so it's about the quite literal structure of the uterus. And keep in mind that they were studying animals. Literally anything. I'm trying to figure out the orientation. Maybe. Are they trying to figure out? Think of like what they can observe during like childbirth and things like that.
0: Are they trying to figure out the size?
1: No, not the size. I think I'm getting colder and colder, just <laughs> like these women. Can you just tell me? <laughs> so it's actually the mystery of multiple births and the sex of a child. Oh, I they thought I that was tied know. to the uterus structure, but okay. the size part you will see is um quite related, and then the orientation. I was breeding. Um, some things about like dissections, and it was kind of boring to like talk about here because it's quite literally the anatomy of the uterus. But they mm. were accounts of like, oh, the uterus is bent this way, then backwards this way, and I was like, it is like that. It does bend over things. Like, yeah, it does. It just it sits on top of the bladder
0: like a little puppet, pal. It does. I wish you could see the like weird hand motion I'm making.
1: Right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you like, are. I'm just like scooping over. I'm like, Hi. yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. And they like saw that they were like, oh, it ends this way and that way. And I'm like, it does indeed. But yeah, they were trying to figure out like how multiple births happened and how like the sex of a child was determined. So, okay. So the general consensus was that there were separate chambers within the uterus where each child developed. Oh, it's kind of what they thought. Yeah. So that kind cool. of correlates the like, so size. So one scholar named master Nicholas Stated that the uterus is, quote, a hollow and villous within, smooth outside, and divided into seven cells, which has two openings. Hollow? Yes. Villous within? Uh, Not really. Not really. Smooth outside? Definitely. Uterus is super cute. It's so smooth on the outside. Divided into seven cells? Not really. Two openings? Not really. One opening. Um, Yeah. But anyway... So they thought that there were seven cells because women could have a maximum of seven children at once for each day of the week. Whoa!
0: Wowee! Septimom over here.
1: (laughs) Septimom. Sounds like a superhero. But for each day of the week, like, oh my God, why?
0: So you could name your kid after each day of the week.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know why that was a theory, but it was. But then it became like more common to think that there was actually two chambers because there were two breasts and a woman so they thought they like reflected each other or like mirrors of each other okay and I I really find this chamber theory so cool because like in a way they're not wrong because when it comes to multiples like a fetus does have their own amniotic fluid sac in the sometimes yeah you can have one
0: amniotic sac and have two babies in there Oh, really? Yeah, they're called like monozygotic, it, monochorionic. Oh, like yeah, They can only yeah, yeah. be identical twins. They can't be like fraternal because oh, they're like
1: frat brothers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joint at the hip, bro. Straight out of the womb. Literally. Up. Straight out of the womb. <laughs> That's too good. Um, but yeah, but like in a way, like even if they do share an amniotic, like either way, they're, they are like chambers. Yeah. When you think about it in that way. So in a way, like they weren't completely wrong, but it obviously doesn't go, go as far as changing the actual structure of the womb itself. Um, so while they were theorizing like how multiple children worked, they also were trying to figure out how the sex was determined. And one theory is directed directly to uterine structure. And so it was thought that males were created on the right side of the uterus and females were created on the left side of the uterus. Oh, which sounds pretty ridiculous, but Galen, of course, had an explanation for this in anatomical terms. So to quote Galen, he claimed that the spermatic and ovarian artery and vein going to the right testes in the right side of the uterus arise directly from the vena cava and the aorta, below the level of the renal vessels, and thus carry. Already clean blood from the kidneys. Oh. Okay. So these veins and arteries going to the right uterus was clean blood because it was already cleaned. It was not coming from renal. Yes. And the corresponding veins on the left side arise from the renal vessels from the left kidney and thus carried uncleansed blood. Oh, what? Going on the left side. Yeah. So they were like. I don't know how they figure it out. Honestly, now I think about it, like that, the kidney cleaned blood, but whatever. But isn't that anatomy correct that the left ovaries veins come from the kidneys vessels before they enter the aorta and vena cava? I think I didn't look
0: the before. left,
1: <laughs> the left kidney. Oh, yeah, I think so. The yeah, the left ovarian vein goes directly into the left renal vein, yeah instead of
0: going into the vena cava which is how it works on the right side because the vena cava runs on the
1: right yep so galen knew this probably from animal dissections and so this theory left is from renal which means uncleansed blood right is from noctrenal which means clean blood and remember the right side is where the males were created and the right The left side is where the females were created. So to Mm. continue on with Galen's words himself, he said, the left testes and the left uterus in the female receive blood still uncleansed, full of residue that were watery and serous. In other words, the blood going to the left side is impure. And because the blood is impure, the blood contains less heat to result in producing an imperfect seed the male seed however which was from pure blood of the vena cava in the aorta is able to achieve complete development and is thus Mm -hmm. more perfect than the female thanks galen yeah so basically this theory is just feeding into those previous theories that women are inherently weaker in the lesser sex because they are cold Quite literally, because seed that creates the female as a baby is imperfect because it comes from unhealthy blood. So, yeah, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a really, I mean, really wrong, but like
1: at least it's consistent. It's, yes, it's super consistent. Like all the theories really go back to this four humors idea. Like that's why at the beginning I was like, it really goes throughout history because it does, it goes for hundreds of years. So, yeah. Females, once again, incomplete form of a male. Useless. the un- Yeah, deformed males, apparently. Um, and this was no different for female genitalia. So, yep, Galen thought that female genitals were actually in the arrested form instead of making their way, like, fully outside the body to create male genitals. Mm. Basically, he thought that the vagina, clitoris, whatever, is an underdeveloped penis, which, you know, flash forward to Freud, who thinks the same thing. So <laughs> females and all their penis envy, according to Freud. We love so, that. I know. So the idea that a vagina and penis were like basically the same in a way, just you know, like their presentation develop- depended on what stage of development they were in, calls back to that single sex theory. Because they thought that male and females could like fall on a scale and the same could happen to genitalia because they thought the genitalia of a vagina and a penis were just complete inverses of each other. So like on one side of the scale of female, you have vagina, but then it completely inverts to a penis. Because when you look at the anatomy of it, they saw it as the like head of the penis, which is called the glands is like the cervix of a vagina, which is that part before the uterus begins.
0: Oh, like it, it in, I understand, yes. like it inverts fully, yes. it like fully So then goes like the actual body.
1: vagina would be like the shaft of a penis. Yeah, so, and they have um, interesting drawings that I will post on our social media. That's kind of cool how they, they make it like the vagina look more penis-like than it actually is. But like in a way, like it does look, <laughs> look kind of interchangeable. It makes sense. And they even would say that the testes were also interchangeable because the testes were female ovaries. Yeah, so throughout the female body, like truly from the skin and then inwards and back out again, we are seeing these overarching themes of comparison. Every theory across this ancient European medicine journey has asked, how are women different and less worthy than men? And even in Galen's single sex theory, where someone could technically be part man or part woman, you are still inherently lesser when you have the lesser characteristics of a woman. And these theories that were created mm-hmm. at the beginning of the study of anatomy generated an inherent bias in the field that is still present in anatomy today. So now in medical schools and in anatomy classes, this is still a thing. The female anatomy is still named after various male anatomists and is still named for very sexist Latin words, such as sheath for the vagina and to shut away for the clitoris. And then when it comes to teaching anatomy, like anatomy is so heavily taught based on the male body, whether you're looking at a cadaver or illustrations. And then when it's talked about the female body, it's like in comparison to the male. So an example is like, teaching the clitoris as the female version of the penis instead of just teaching it as its own entity. Um, and that comes up a lot in various different areas. So there is this inherent hidden curriculum in anatomy today where there is a gender bias that is unintentionally taught while teaching anatomy. So there needs to be this move away from focusing on female anatomy is only reproductively based. And even when you discuss female anatomy, it needs to be taught to its fullest, not just as comparisons to male, to male anatomy. Because the theories that are famous and well-respected ancient physicians such as Galen and Hippocrates and Aristotle, etc., have promoted around female anatomy seem really funny to us now. They definitely are funny and ridiculous. But they ultimately worked to undermine and subordinate women. And medicine was used as such a power tool throughout history to tell women what to do and to ignore their symptoms and to blame them on various things and tell them that their humors were in balance and their organs were wandering and there was all these things wrong with them because they were women, not because they were just humans who were sick. So as we move forward in anatomy curriculum today, it's just as important to consider how we are teaching the female body. Because if it is taught as an afterthought, or if it is taught as a comparison, this can affect how physicians and future healthcare professionals will practice medicine. They will compare women to men in their illnesses, which we know fully well that many illnesses are experienced very differently between the sexes. So I'm here today to teach you all of these ancient theories because they are fun and hilarious to look at, but also because they're very important when considering how we are educating our future providers. And with that, I am ready to talk about the things. Yay,
0: I love that. Let's do it.
1: All right, so we're back. Alicia, tell me your thoughts on the things. And also if you had to like pick a theory, which one would be your favorite or like which one could you get behind the most or something like that. Okay, well, I think like, My initial thoughts were just that these are
0: super creative theories. That was the overarching theme I got. I was like, okay, I would not have gone there, but I respect the hustle, sir. You really, you really tried. Yeah, just straight up full sending. Because they had all these parts that didn't really work together, but then they were like, you know what? Let's make it work. It so and well. I, was like, okay, I mean, it's wrong, but <laughs> it they tried. So I appreciated that. The other thing that I thought was interesting that I'm still like mulling over, and I don't know who to ask about, but I'm gonna maybe ask someone is like when we were talking about the different chambers of the uterus and where babies implant and how there's different Yeah, you know the multiple baby theory. I wonder if an egg were to implant at a certain location, or even in a certain like quadrant Mm -hmm. per se, or certain area, if the next time you have a kid, it's less likely to like implant in that same location. I don't know. I don't know if there's any way to figure that out. Probably not. That, yeah, I was just thinking about that because I was like, oh, what if, you know, this one area, if it's like a scar, for example, like you consider it scar tissue in a way, like a certain radius around where a previous yeah. egg has implanted. And like maybe only outside of that radius could a successful second or third or fourth right. implantation occur. I don't know. So I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, that that seems That's interesting. I I don't know if there's any way to find out. I would love to learn about it. There is. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. And then I also just thought it was funny, like the left and the right. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was very interesting how that came together with like the clean and dirty blood. I did truly think that when you were saying the left side has like dirty blood, I thought it was because they were saying that the vein or whatever vessel is like feeding blood to that ovary was gonna come straight mm-hmm. from the uterus and because like menstrual yeah. blood is dirty but now this makes more sense like mm-hmm. anatomically the rationale is wrong but the yeah kind of like that the
1: anatomy is right because they are like oh i can kind of see what you mean but then like they get more into physiology and you're like that's totally not it but <laughs> yeah
0: i again <laughs> respect yeah. the hustle But yeah, I think if I had to pick a favorite theory, it would have been the left and right babies. But I think objectively, what I think is most correct or what I appreciate the most is the single Mm -hmm. scale. The scale for like of a single sex and how like you just fall on a scale. That's like very forward thinking. It
1: is. Like Gideon was really on something there, like in a good way for once. And it just makes sense. Like I can totally see that being an actual theory in the future. I also really like. The vein, personally, I think it's, one, hilarious. Two, like, kind of makes sense. Like, I like how they were like, oh, big, big vein. Vena cava, oh, goes directly from only reproductive organs in females. Like, what? It's just kind of funny. Yeah. That they thought that the reproductive system was so interconnected that it required its own vein. They really thought. Yeah that it's such a theme in medical history that like the female is literally only the reproductive system like nothing else mattered and yeah. that vein is such a solid example of that in a way because
0: yeah that's so true because like if you were to remove that vein and women's genitalia in their breasts i guess with
1: this theory yeah would like they just be a man basically anatomy terms yeah, it's crazy. So I thought the vein was kind of cool because it just really iterated how like the reproductive system was its own circulation. It was its own system itself and not like connected in any way to the other parts of the body. So I like that. But in actual terms of actual female anatomy, what was your experience like, Alicia, in learning female anatomy medical school? If you had to describe it or if you have any like stories that applies to what we learned today or anything like you thought of? <laughs> Yeah, I think this year it's it's a little
0: hard because we didn't get to do the full anatomy Us dissections either. for every yeah. system. So actually, like our our gastrointestinal and reproductive unit that was fully virtual. So I didn't get to have that in person, but I was really sad because I really wanted to see the uterus I know, me too. and like I ovaries. It as well. But I, we did still learn the anatomy. We just didn't go into lab and do dissection. I think something that like my school does really well is mm-hmm. anatomy in particular. Our anatomy faculty is just incredible. And they do a lot to not only like do a good job of teaching the anatomy, but they try to be like really in touch with the language that they use and things like that so a couple things that they did that I think are just like really good were um they would specifically use like the words like assigned female at birth or like assigned Mm -hmm. male at birth when talking about anatomy which was like I think really really good and I don't know I think it was like a recent Mm -hmm. change that they made but I'm really glad that they did because like that has stuck with me in the way that I talk about anatomy and then. I think something else that we did that was minor, but kind of nice was that we actually learned female anatomy first. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of cool because I think generally like anatomy, you're right, it is based mm-hmm. on comparison. And so it's kind of like the one that you learn first yes. is your schema. And then the one that you learn next is what you compare the first one to. Uh, so I actually really liked that I learned the female anatomy first, but I think generally like I still felt or sometimes still feel like in school that women and men are like people who are assigned male or female at birth mm-hmm. are just being compared. Um, and yeah, I, I have like more to say on that, but I'll yeah, that no, I totally agree.
1: Because I think one of the things that stood out to me for my reproductive anatomy curriculum as we learned the anatomy, like kind of at the same time, like they, we'd learn like there is a ligament that holds like all the stuff in that region of the pelvic region together. And then it looks like this for the male and looks like this for the female. It's kind of like at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, like when we learned the bladder anatomy, it was like, there was a picture of like the male bladder and the female, like right next to it. But in terms of genitalia, we did learn the male genitalia first when we got to the female, it was brushed over so fast. Like I can't even, everyone was like, Mm. what? Because we spent so long on the male genitalia, like external and so many images are so (laughs) disturbing. And then there was like, there (laughs) were like multiple pages in the female, but like when the professor got to them, he was like, oh, this is basically the same as this in the male. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this stuff. And then like, moved on and we were all like what (laughs) like uh sir sir no and then later on like because we also were virtual because of covid we would do for our anatomy exams they like pulled from this anatomy textbook basically for to test us and I remember my lab group was going through basically just studying together over zoom and going through the pictures and one of my lab mates was like wait so where is the clitoris? And it was so funny because like that's such a joke of a question, but like, he was so serious because like, we didn't really, Distinctly talk about it.
0: Wait, that's so funny that you mentioned that because I was gonna tell a story about like one of my best friends in med school. He so our anatomy practical was also like yeah. online. They would show you a picture, and then you have to pick the answer. And this man didn't know where the labia majora was. Oh no! <laughs> and he was like, "I'm so embarrassed." Like, blah blah blah. He literally got the question wrong. For those of you who don't know, the labia majora is like the outer fold. Yeah, the fold of the vagina mm-hmm. and like Mons
1: area. Yeah. So it
0: was just so funny. I, he was like, <laughs> "I'm I'm pathetic," and I was like, "You are pathetic." I can't believe you yeah, didn't know like, the labia yeah, so majora. Yeah, I thought that was is. interesting. And then
1: also like one thing that like I remember being annoyed with is like we didn't really learn about the breast very in depth. We learned. Yeah, like oh, we, we didn't either. Yeah, like we learned like that the was anatomy upsetting. it was in our notes, but we were never tested on it. That was when we were in lab, actually, for anatomy um, before COVID got really bad in the fat in the last fall. And I remember, like, literally, an our professor was like, "Yeah, so if you're female, just like we're skipping over the breast, moving on to the chest wall." And I was like, "Why?" And and this year, I'm actually an anatomy tutor, so I get to work with the anatomy directors. And I'm going to ask them, why don't we study the breast? Because breast anatomy is so important for like breast cancer and things like that. And you should just know in general, like it's not worth skipping over. So I just thought that was kind of crazy. Interesting that you mentioned that.
0: Cause I, I think something that I was thinking about, um, was actually how our first histology like quiz that we had where we were literally, so histology is the study of cells on the slide. So it's like a microscopic look at like the cells of the body basically. And I remember like our first histology, we were literally learning such basic things. We were like, (laughs) what is a squamous cell? What is a cuboidal cell? Like these are like very basic terms that you have to know to like understand anything in histology. And so we were learning literal basics. And then We learned mammary glands. They're so difficult. And it was, I thought, really strange that they just kind of grouped them together in that way. And I remember our professor who's wonderful, but he was like, "Um, I'm sorry, we like don't have more time to spend on this. This is going to be all we talk about for mammary glands. And it was like at the beginning of the year when we didn't even know, I didn't Mm -hmm. even know what a cell was. And we were learning about just like the different glands within the breast. And they're just Mm -hmm. really complex as they should be, because they're literally nourishing life. But it was very confusing.
1: All right. So lastly, my last question is, in medicine today, have you noticed any theories, maybe not, which would be great, that perpetuate ideas that women are inherently lesser than men that might still exist today? Yeah, I was thinking about this question and I think it's kind of hard.
0: Maybe I could come up with something like really tangible. But I think the first thing I was that came to mind was not so much that something about a body of someone assigned female at birth being inherently lesser than, but more so that it's just more mm-hmm. complicated. But the connotation of complicated is negative.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's like, oh, women like their anatomy is just more involved. It's just more complicated. But in this way that makes it seem like it's a bad thing for it to be more complicated when in fact it's just different and like just well, also like, and, in like in the cool. way that, oh, it's
1: more complicated, which makes women less adapt to do things because their anatomy can like get in the way their cycles of hormones and changes makes them more complex. So you never know where their brain is at. So they're not adapt to being president or whatever, like dumb things like that. It was
0: interesting. I was talking to a couple of my friends today and we were just talking about like Hmm. pain because there's this idea that like women have poor pain tolerances but it was actually really funny because we were just talking about our immediate friend circle and one of our guy friends was like yeah I just like I'm such a baby like I can't handle pain and he was like I was talking about it with someone once and we were just saying like oh women have their periods every month and like that pain can be so excruciating that we know in general, like what pain is. And so like when it's less pain, we're just like, ah, like this hurts, but like, we're fine. Whereas he was like, I get one paper (laughs) cut and I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. But I think like, that's not the best example because we talk about this a lot too in our podcast, but the people that we surround ourselves by is just like a niche group like so we're really used to being around people who I don't know I'm used to being around people and you are too who just like uplift us and like uplift female voices and I think maybe next year when I'm on like clinic when I'm on the wards next year I like might notice things more apparent but I think generally we just see women as like
1: complicated and that's like a bad thing I agree I don't really have any specific theories as well. It's just a more like general consensus of how women are viewed. It all really comes down to like hormones, yeah. I agree, and like complexity. Yeah. And I think
0: like we also have to think about the societal ways that which we socialize like ourselves and our mm-hmm. women and our everyone. We see and perpetuate ideas of women being weaker or lesser or less fast, less strong, et cetera. Not on purpose, but like that's just how it yeah. is. And so I think it's like easy to fall into that trap, but that's not because of our anatomy. Right.
1: It's
0: because of how we're socialized.
1: Well, I hope that now everyone can be a little bit more aware of how people speak about female anatomy and where certain theories come from and just like how you viewed female anatomy. And if you want to learn more fun, ancient theories and talk about ideas that you might never have thought of before, then you should definitely subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting app is your favorite. And then you can also leave us a rating and review and Apple Podcasts is the best place for that.
0: Yes, and while you're at it, you should follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at FSTS underscore podcast. And our Instagram is at From Chris to Scrubs. And then you can also check out our website, which has our show notes and sources
1: and merch.
0: And that's from SkritsToScrubs.com.
1: Yeah. And as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collaborations and making bonus content for you all. So if you or someone you know is interested in working with us, just shoot us an email or an Insta DM or a Twitter DM. (laughs) Yeah. And lastly, here's to the
0: women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us.
1: Yay. Woo. Yay! Bye. Boop, boop, boop. Bye. See you next time.